And I invite you to take your Bibles. We are going to read two passages from the book of Acts. The first one is chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. And then we're going to move to chapter 9, verses 26 to 20 to 30. First one, Acts chapter 1, chapter 8, 1 to 3. And Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered through Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going through house to house, he dragged of both men and women and put them in prison. Then we move to chapter 9, verses 26 to 30. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul, on his journey, had seen the Lord, and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fiercely in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. This is the word of God for the people of God. Praise Thanks be to, to God. God. If you do have your Bibles with you today, I invite you to hold that page. Uh, we are going to spend uh, a significant amount of time journeying through God's Word, particularly in the book of Acts today. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Father, we come before you humbled by the, the opportunity we have to hear from you in, in the truth of your Word that you offer us a witness to who you are and who we are called to be. Lord, I ask that you would, in this space and time, open our eyes, that we would see, our ears, that we would hear. Open our minds that we come to know and understand your word, our hearts, that we would feel its power. Then in response, I pray, Almighty God, that you would open our hands, that we would be a people offering grace on your behalf to your world. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. A couple weeks ago, I was at a Tomball High School football game, and, uh, and, and there was this kind of awkward moment during the game. Uh, the, the, the announcer invited all the stands to clap and acknowledge the class of 1983. Uh, they were having their 40th, and, uh, their 40th high school reunion. How many of you have ever been to a high school reunion? Okay, so most of you, God bless you. I've never been to a high school reunion, so I don't really understand the awkwardness of that moment. Um, uh, but, but I got to say that looking out in the end zone, there were like seven of them. 
from the class of 83. Uh, and then later in the game, they tried to give it another acknowledgement, I think hoping that my, more might have shown up, and there were maybe nine or ten of them uh, for that 40th reunion. Now, Tomball was probably a school that graduated, uh, that had a graduating class of about 50 back then, but uh, nonetheless, it was an interesting moment. And I, I wonder about that reunion space, right? So you knew them at one point in time, and then years and years later, you get to see them again, and you get to hear like, okay, who are you now? What are you doing? What have you accomplished? What's your profession? How many kids do you have? But you don't know anything about what took place in the in-between. You're just getting some details about who they've become and not acknowledging how they moved from one place to another. I mean, think about two points in your life, drastically different. How much you've grown, how much you've changed, how much you've matured, how much experience you've had, how much wisdom you've acquired. I mean, all of this taking place over the course of years. And, and if you're just defining one point and another point, filling in the gaps seems quite difficult and yet absolutely critical. And we have two points uh, today in two readings from Saul's life. Now, now this is Saul. This is not yet Paul. Uh, he adopts the name Paul on his first missionary journey. Uh, same person, but, but at this point in his life, referred to as Saul. And we have two points in his life. One in chapter 8, where he is persecuting uh, Stephen, and he then uh, leads into a persecution where they are literally dragging women and men out of their homes into the streets. And then you have this, this man of God who's been entirely transformed, who is proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, and he now is, is, is seeking to be an evangelist for Jesus. And you might wonder, how? Point A, point B, what's missing. I'm going to, uh, to attempt this morning to, to, to frame Saul leading up to that in-between space where transformation takes place uh, as a prodigal. The word prodigal, we as Christians most commonly refer to as the prodigal son, a parable of the prodigal son, where there are two sons and, and one seeks uh, to, to gain their inheritance, goes off, squanders it in reckless living, uh, uh, rejecting the belonging that he has as a part of the family, as, as, as uh, one of the father's uh, 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 treasured sons, and then he returns, and we see that transformation that, that Jesus speaks of in that parable. What does prodigal mean? Prodigal literally means reckless. Reckless. Uh, someone who, who recklessly uh, uh, lives and rejects their place of belonging. A prodigal is someone who... who has belonging, who has purpose, who has relationship and identity and, and is able to be truly one in a space but chooses to reject that belonging. And that might be you or might have been you or you might have a family member that's like that. I think most families have a prodigal somewhere in the mix uh, who seems to uh, no longer fit or want to fit in their position in the family. 
So how do we uh, come to grasp Saul as a prodigal? So this is where we're going we're gonna to journey very quickly through multiple passages of Scripture. Some of uh, them will be on the screen, uh, but I do invite you to follow along. What do we know about Saul? Well, there's one thing that we could start with, and it comes to us in Acts 22. Uh, this is as uh, Saul, now at this point in his life, Paul, is a prisoner, and uh, he is giving defense for who he is and, and naming his station and status based on his history. And so this history lesson predates Acts chapter 8 and helps us set up the story. Acts 22, beginning in verse 2. Excuse me, in verse 8. Oh, I gave her the wrong verse. Wow, what an error. That's totally not her fault. That's absolutely my fault. We're going to be in Acts 22, verse, verse 2. It says, When they heard Paul speak to them in Aramaic, they became really quiet. And then he said, Paul said, I am a Jew. I'm born in Tarsus of Sicilia, but brought up in this city under Gamaliel. I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. You know, it's, it's amazing to hear how, how Paul orients his, his beginning He's from Tarsus. What, what significance does that have? Tarsus is a city that was acknowledged by the Roman Empire as Roman, even though it was predominantly uh, 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 run by, led by Jews, but it was a center of philosophy. So we know a lot about Paul by where he grew up. And, and, and you know what that's like whenever you're meeting someone and they tell you where they're from uh, and they give you some specificity. You have some assumptions about what their upbringing was like, what, what you can know about them based on where they're from. Paul's from Tarsus, a Roman city, which, by the way, is really advantageous when the Romans are trying to kill him, but they realize that they can't because he's Roman. He's a citizen of Rome. Uh, he also is well-versed in philosophy, which means that he has the ability to articulate complex arguments rooted in his upbringing, his training, and his school of thought. And so when he is an evangelist to the Greeks, uh, to the Gentiles, he's able to use a line of thought that, that, that helps, him, uh, helps him meet them where they are and helps him articulate uh, arguments. But then it says that line, he studied under Gamaliel, G-A-M-A-L-I-E-L, Gamaliel. Now, that's, that's a big deal, actually. Gamaliel was one of two uh, most highly esteemed uh, leaders of the, Jewish, uh, of the Jewish authorities at that time. And we hear of Gamaliel in other places in Scripture. We'll get to that later. But the fact that Paul was a disciple under Gamaliel tells you that he was in, this is critical, he was in Jerusalem learning and studying about what it means to be a Pharisee or a rabbi while Jesus was ministering. And now, now we, don't, we, we don't know if 
Paul, if Saul was there at certain critical moments, uh, we don't know if he was there at the trial of Jesus. We don't know if he was there at the crucifixion of Jesus. Probably not because he never testifies to to the fact. But he was in Jerusalem during all of this. So now what can, we, what can we learn that Paul would have known, that Saul would have known? Let's go back to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, uh, we're going to uh, begin looking at verse 41, and then we're going to jump forward a little bit from there. What would Paul, Saul, have known at the time? Acts 2 verse 41 Those who accepted Peter's message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to that number that day. Saul would have known that the gospel of Jesus Christ, after Jesus' crucifixion, uh, then was adopted, that was received by thousands, 3,000 people. That, That Peter stood before the body, they were anointed by the Holy Spirit, he proclaimed to who Jesus was, and in that proclamation, thousands were converted. Saul would have known this. And then in verse uh, 46 and verse 47 of the same chapter, uh, we hear that every day the disciples, the community of the Christian people began to meet together in the temple courts every day. They met in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So not only were 3,000 saved, but now every single day more, pe- more people are being saved. And I think it's, it's absolutely uh, astounding that those who were not, uh, not abiding by the Pharisaic leadership of the Jewish temple were still gathering in the temple every single day. And Saul would have seen that. And Saul, as one who learned under a preeminent Jewish authority, who was his rabbi, how would he have responded? What would that have done to to who he was? Obviously, it burned him up that they were testifying to a contrary teaching in the Jewish temple. He saw the conversions He saw the community that was being fostered, and he also heard of the invitation that was available to everyone. You remember that Pentecost uh, experience there? They're in Jerusalem, and and the Holy Spirit uh, uh, baptizes them. They're anointed in the Holy Spirit, and there are people. Do you remember the laundry list of where all the people are from? I mean, it was unbelievable. Uh, It's unbelievable when a pastor has to read Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt. I mean, right? People from all over are there hearing the good news and it's offered clearly in this way in verse 37 and 38. This is the invitation for everyone. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, What shall we do? And Peter replies to everyone, to you and to me, to Saul, in fact, 
Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children, for those who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Paul would have heard this message, this invitation, this truth of belonging, that he had position in the family of God through the blood of Jesus, that he was invited into this community, into this saving grace. This is where we know that he can be family. And yet he has choice in this, just as you and as I have choice in this. Our our free will now intervenes and we can choose how we respond. And Paul, Saul, chooses how he responds. What else would he have known of? What else would he uh, understand? He would understand in in chapter 4. Uh, this is an outstanding uh, follow-up to his story. In chapter 3, uh, Peter heals a lame, win, uh, a lame man. Uh, gold, I have none, uh, but what I have in Jesus' name, I call and say to you, stand up and walk. And, and the lame man is healed, and everyone knows this man because he's more than 40 years old, and he's been fully restored. And so uh, in order to quiet all of, the, all of the commotion that's happening, all of the people that are responding to the miracle in Jesus' name, Peter and John are brought forward before the Sanhedrin. They're put under a trial of sorts. And in chapter 4, verse 16, uh, we have clarity that Paul that Saul would have known this. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone in Jerusalem, did you hear this? Everyone in Jerusalem, including Saul. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle and we cannot deny it. Saul would have known about the conversions. He would have known about the community. He would have known about the invitation, the fact that he has space to belong. He would have known of the miracles. And he would have also known of the the conviction of those who testify. In Acts chapter 5, we now see uh, that uh, the conclusion of this, there's a, a wondering of how are they going to respond after all of this persecution. The apostles are now told that they must be silent. In Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse, uh, verse 34, uh, excuse me, in verse 40, we hear uh, the response of the people, the called apostles, to, to persist in the faith. His speech persuaded them They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak the name of Jesus and to let them go. And the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because, hold on, by the way, they just had been flogged. They were beaten and they left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of That is Jesus. Day after day in the temple courts, from house to house, they never, did you hear that? They never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus Christ is Lord. They never stopped. They persisted. And Saul would have borne witness to this truth 
This truth that the, the testimony the apostles offered were, was, was so convicting. They were so convinced that they could not stop. That there was no, no way that they could respond by shying away, but rather they would continue to advance the gospel. Saul would have known all of this. You know what else Saul would have known? The reason why they didn't kill the apostles right there on the spot. In verse 34 of what proceeded in chapter 5, it says, There was a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all people, and he stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that all the men be put outside for a little while. And he says, If this is of God, you will be found fighting against God. Gamaliel, Saul's rabbi, Saul's teacher is the one that defends the apostles and says it's either of God or it's not. Why would we in our humanity attempt to intervene? So that's so much of the history of Saul. That's the context in which he grew up. I mean, that's like going to someone who graduated high school in 1970 and and beginning to account for all that they had experienced in the civil rights movement and all they had experienced in the Woodstock sexual revolution and coming to understand who those people are, how they were formed and what the context was that they grew up in. This is how Saul grew up. And so now we hear... We hear what Saul's response is. Saul's response is one of of vitriol, of persecution, of, of rejecting all of his position as one who could belong and rather uh, uh, persecuting the people of faith. Even so much so that he comes to uh, approach a young man named Stephen and he endorses Stephen's killing. Stephen is a man who's filled with the glory of God, who, who testifies to all that Jesus has done for him. And then uh, Stephen is brought in and stoned to death. In verse 58 of chapter 7, it, it lays it out this way. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul was the one who approved of the killing of one of Jesus' followers. So it's obvious. It's obvious that a prodigal, one that has rejected their position of belonging and instead chosen to live a reckless life, one who in fact even persecuted the people of faith, uh, would be so, uh, so difficult to trust. How could you trust him? Why would you trust him? This is absolutely reasonable, but but here we are in a series called First Love where we're identifying all of the ways in which Jesus modeled for us a love for people that we otherwise might deem unlovable, where Jesus came and and offered himself fully to people that that we might shy away from or, or be distanced from. And here we want to identify that even Jesus saw fit to model love for the prodigal, love for 
you and for me, for all, and he did so with Saul. Did you remember that scene in the road to Damascus? Saul gets approval to travel 150 miles from Jerusalem to Damascus for the sole reason of persecuting followers of Jesus. And on that road to Damascus, he is encountered with the power of God in Jesus Christ. Uh, It is the glory of God that shines all around him. And he is not able to see. And God encounters him in the personhood of Jesus. And in verse 5 of chapter 9, Saul responds and says, Who are you, Lord? I I know of your glory. I know of your truth. I know of this experience. And something is happening here and now. I need to know who you are. And Saul is responded to. Jesus says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And immediately he is blind. He cannot see. But he has encountered the risen Christ. Jesus saw fit to pursue to pursue the one who didn't want to be pursued to seek the one that was absolutely permanently lost Jesus saw fit to invite the prodigal home It's unbelievable, in fact. In verse 17, we, we hear of this conversion. So Ananias uh, is invited by God to go minister to Saul, who was trying to come and kill Ananias. Whoa. And then in verse 17 and following, it says, Ananias went to the house, entered in it. He laid hands on Saul and spoke to him in this way, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he could see again. And he got up and was baptized. He got up and was baptized. His response to his encounter with Jesus was conversion. He was identified by Jesus as a prodigal who was in need of position, uh, favor, and space within the family. Jesus pursued him and offered him that. And when he received it, he offered his life to Jesus. But what is the church's response to radical conversion? What is the church's response To a prodigal come home. It's as you would expect. Because the church is full of humans that mess up. That are full of fear and anxiety. I mean we read in in chapter 9. Dario read in chapter 9. So much about what took place. They were afraid of Saul. They didn't trust Saul. They didn't think they could believe Saul. I mean and why would you? He's trying to kill you. And so in response, they shy away, they distance, but Saul doesn't care if he doesn't yet belong in the community of the Christian faith because he belongs in Christ's community as a saved creation. And he testifies to all he had seen and all he had heard, and he is Jesus' witness. 
So much so that eventually the Christian community has their hearts softened and they welcome him in. Brothers and sisters, why do we wait when it comes to the pursuit of the prodigal? Jesus didn't wait. He went and met him exactly where he was, even in the midst of his destructive desires. And he offered him love. What would it be if we, the church, were willing to pursue alongside Jesus those that seem to be the most far gone? Those whose witness, whose lives' testimony were contrary to the gospel. Those who were pursuing heinous things for the sake of culture or corruption. What if we were to offer them Christ, offer them love so consistently that eventually they responded in faith? I look out on this congregation And one of the most beautiful things for me to acknowledge in this very moment is I know how many of us were prodigals. How many of us fought against Christ with our lives, with our minds, with our words. And yet Christ pursued us. And the community of faith pursued us. And now we're here. Let's not run from that transformed identity, but rather let's adopt it and proclaim it so that all might know that they belong as well. Because the church of Jesus Christ is a place where all belong. All can come and all can be transformed let's be that people with extraordinary and extravagant invitation let's pray father this this journey that Saul was on is is our journey it might not be identical it uh, it, it, it isn't identical It's not filled with stonings and persecution, but rather it's filled with with other sorts of running and other sorts of conflict. And so, Lord, we pray forgiveness. We seek your forgiveness, Lord, for all the ways in which we've turned from you. And now, Lord, we, we ask that you would invite us. You would use us. You would call us to your people that we might bring and bear grace on your behalf. Lord, for each this day who would identify as a prodigal, a reckless one who rejects their space of belonging, Lord, I pray your grace and your transforming work. We need you, God. 
more than ever, we need you. Lord, as we continue in this time of worship and we, off, and we enter into a time of offering, Lord, we offer a portion of what you have blessed us with to the kingdom-building work of your church. Lord, I pray that you, would, that you would be with us as we offer these gifts, that you would use them to expand uh, your kingdom, to lift high the name of Jesus so that more would know who you are and whose we are through the work of these gifts. We pray it in the mighty and precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.